You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, and I'll be your host today. And today we have the honor of having Omar Khatib on the podcast. And as you well know, if you are a active participant on LinkedIn or you don't live under a rock, you know who Omar is. And Omar is a prolific poster and an expert in a lot of different things. And he's going to come on and talk to us about several different subjects. And without further ado, Omar, how are you today? I'm doing awesome, Eric. It's an honor to be on your show. I've been a big fan, longtime listener, so I'm very happy to be a guest here. Hopefully, I'll do a good enough job. I can be invited back, but it's a pleasure to be here. We got to have you on my show, too. We got to make that, you know, it's been a long time coming. We got to give the people what they want, right? That's right. Yeah, I would love to do that. And it's truly an honor to have you on. I always love what your content that you're you know, on LinkedIn and what you're doing in the medical sales rep arena. And if you would, just give us a brief intro on you and then we have the audience find out who Omar is. Yeah, yeah. So who is Omar Khatib? So first and foremost, I am a proud husband and a very happy father. I'm a new dad. So my wife and I had a son named Bear Khan. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I was born and raised in the great state of Texas, right on the U.S.-Mexican border town of El Paso. I'm very proud to be there. My father is from Iraq. He was a general surgeon, immigrated to this country, went to Cook County and did his training there and then set a practice down in El Paso. My mother's from Turkey. She is a professor of anatomy and biology at our local community college. And so looked up to my father and really admired him a lot. And so I wanted to be a surgeon just like him. So like most people, I was a pre-med in college. Unlike most people, I actually stuck to it and found my way to medical school. Along the way, I did some research at Hopkins and MD Anderson and went to medical school at Texas Tech University. But about halfway through this longtime dream of being a doctor, I realized was not for me. you know. And so with the full support of my father, which to this day, I still can't believe it, but he was very supportive. I left medical school. Fortunately, I was on a full academic scholarship. So I left with no debt, which was nice. And that was around 2012. And rather than do something stupid, like go get an MBA and waste more money, (laughs) I said I should go work. So I did door-to-door sales in the hot Texas summers, tried to break into the industry, was told I had to start off selling band-aids and very low-end products. Didn't believe that. And a little company out of Israel called Mazor Robotics, the first robotic spine platform, hired me as a sales rep. So I carried the bag And about a year and a half in, I was being mentored by greats out of our industry. Chris Sells, Tim Murawski, Chris Prentice, Ken Husted, you know, people who built intuitive surgical in the early days. So I was talented in marketing and said, hey, you should be our U.S. marketing manager. So I moved to Orlando and did that. As they say, the rest is history. You know, the rest of my career, I really focused on some specific things, which is taking very new and complicated technologies to market and driving product adoption engineering markets and designing categories, and more specifically, sales at scale. And, you know, Eric, I think you and I have touched on this topic before, but, you know, for me, I criticize our industry a lot, especially the marketing side, because it's not really marketing, it's product management and not how do we help sell more. Sure. 
Yeah, you do. And I wholeheartedly agree with you because I still think we're in the days. I think if we would let them, they would still mail out DVDs and brochures. But people have made fun of them so much that they don't do that anymore. Oh, no, no, I disagree. They still do the brochures. <laughs> they still do it. They yeah. still do it. And it's mainly because, you know, you have salespeople who, when they don't hit their number, it's like, oh, we don't have this brochure. I'm like, okay, that's the one reason why you couldn't sell this course. This is brochure. So if we get this yeah. brochure, you're going to sell through the roof next quarter. Yeah. So yeah, and just kind of sort of wrapping up, I worked at different robotic companies. I did predictive health and AI and then went to SaaS. And now I've returned back to the industry and started my company, Katib & Co., with the mission of helping med tech companies and sales reps sell more and drive product adoption using social media. So I have a you know, as you know, a show called The State of MedTech, we do live webinars and everything. And then also I started a program called Medical Sales Network Effects Program. You know, CEOs and founders go through it, but mainly for salespeople on how do you sell without stepping in a hospital and do it at scale? Which is very well placed, especially in a world after COVID or during COVID or whatever we are right now. I was just having this discussion with somebody and they said, you know, it's really hard to get into offices now. I had this conversation less than an hour ago. It's really hard to get in offices now. And I said, yeah, because now they have an excuse for you never to come into their office. And it's called COVID. And they're just going to keep rolling with it. And because they figured out, they're like, oh, I don't have to have all these people knocking on my door and taking time with Gloria, the gatekeeper. We can just put up a sign that says, you know, hey, because of COVID restrictions, you can't come in here anymore. And yeah. it's still very prevalent around our industry. Yeah. And, you know, healthcare is interesting because it's kind of like lags behind a lot of other things. But, you know, there's these inflection points that dramatically change how we do business. I mean, you know, even though I was not in the industry yet, but I do remember back in, you know, 2000 when email started really to take off. Well, probably not 2000, like probably 96, 97, but like it was really a thing for business in 2000. And at that point, you know, surgeons would tell reps like, Hey, like, just email me, like email me the information and I'll look it over and I'll just, I'll make a decision, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's the main thing that all B2B businesses are going towards now or having to understand, which is when somebody wants to talk to a salesperson, they'll let you know. But up until that point, you need to find every other way to make sure that they have the information, that they're educated. And then if you do a good job of that, they'll change their behavior over time and adopt your product. That's how it works, you know? Sure. And it's, you know, they have buzzwords, but it is, it's top of mind awareness. And if that day happens when they decide, you know, what am I going to do about this or this procedure or this patient? And they think of your, obviously they're imprinted in your brain, the surgeon's brain or their office staff or whoever that may be that makes the next, you know, reaches out and makes the point of contact. That's the person you have to influence. Yeah, exactly. And look, I'm not under any illusions, you know, in the sense that is every doctor or surgeon on every social media platform? No. Is it going to be the thing that works all the time? Absolutely not. Is there going to be times where you're going to have to get creative on how do you get in front of them? How do you get through a gatekeeper? Like, yeah, that's going to happen. But more often than not, you know, if you're a betting person, you got to bet on what's the most likely thing, right? And so, you know, using social media like LinkedIn and Twitter, right? Instagram even to connect and reach your customers. Learning how to actually write persuasive emails. Like these are important things. And I think that now because of the state that we're in, a lot of salespeople are realizing 
they have to not only change, but get better about this stuff, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, somebody asked me this the other day, which is like, why is it like that? Why is it still like that? And the best answer I can come up with, and Eric, I'm wondering what your thoughts is, is that it's a lack of a fear of the future and there wasn't enough pain. I think up until five years ago, there's so many doctors still that either were independent or they at least had some influence in the hospital. There's so many salespeople where, you know, they're able to get products in just by having a relationship. Hey doc, I got something new. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the term carry the bag is because back in the day, you literally carried a bag. You just walked in, go to the doctor's right, office, lounge, right. hang out. Hey doc, let me show you what I got in my bag today. Check this out. Check that out. Like, why don't you try in your next case? Okay, great. Tries it. Hey, I love it. We're going to start using this instead. Done. Hospital paper. Yep. You know, so that's why I think even today, you know, I spoke at LSI's Investor Summit. You know, I still heard CEOs saying on stage after my talk, yeah, you know, we're trying to raise X, like one CEO, no offense to her, but she said, you know, we want to raise $20 million. If you're interested in us, like, you know, cut us a check and we'll hire a sales team. We'll hit the streets. And I'm like, okay. If it's that easy, if it works like that, I guess that's a great way to do it. Yeah, it used to. Not anymore. (laughs) And and I think, you know, the thing that people miss is that it's a very dangerous place to be. Like if you're a salesperson who's had a lot of success, you're actually at most risk because you probably assume that that success is because you're really good at what you do. And maybe you are. It's likely that there are other variables at play. The product you have the market, which by the way, decides a lot of things, right? All these different things. Sure. So these salespeople, when they move to a new company and then they get hit with a little bit of adversity, they actually don't know how to sell. They don't have a process. They got nothing. And they last six months, nine months, a year, and then they're off to the next thing. Yeah. It's funny you brought that up. And I've talked to some people, they're doing some data work on on just new hires and within their organization. And it's an alarming trend right now that right now, sales representatives in, let's just say, some of the larger companies in the United States, they have a 70% turnover rate, 70%. Any other business would go under. They couldn't sustain that because, again, it's we are blessed right now with really good margins in medical device. But those days will change and we're going to have to figure out a better way to do what we do. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's a multifaceted problem. You know, I think people often misunderstand my message, probably because they don't pay attention close enough. And that, you know, this is not just the salespeople's fault. It's not just marketing's fault. It's not the company's fault. It's a multifaceted problem. It's kind of like a perfect storm of things. You know, and that's why we are, you know, I mean, look, not to mention, I mean, you mentioned COVID. At the beginning of the year, I did about 18 webinars straight every week. You know, that's kind of like what built my business. Now the webinars are automated and I do webinars every now and then. But every webinar, I do a poll, you know, to see how many people last year in 2021, you know, hit their quota, either for one, two, three, or four quarters. Something like 65 or 68% of people only hit quota, you know, hit quota either one quarter or no quarters, right? Wow. And then on top of it, like every company has raised quota by an average of like 15 to 20%. I've heard of some places in ortho that have it up to like 45%, mm-hmm. right? So it's You're like, right. yeah, so it's like, okay, quota is higher. There's less people, which means your territory is larger. You have less time. And yet 
you expect to accomplish these things with these very primitive sales tools and primitive sales processes, lack of process, I would say, you know? So yeah, yeah I didn't realize it was 70%. I'm not surprised about that, but you know, that's really bad. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of an anecdotal number. It's from a few hiring managers that I know in bigger companies. So we'll say, wait, see the data shake out. But you had referenced LSI and I loved a lot of your video that you did. You released some clips there. You went toe to toe with some people on stage that probably you raised some eyebrows when you thought you're, you know, give your opinions. Can you talk a little bit about just what the origin of LSI was and how that all came to be? Yeah, yeah. So LSI stands for Life Science Intelligence. It's a market research company started by Scott Pantel, who is somebody I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I'm very grateful he's in our industry. And so they put the conference together really to bring startups into a platform to pitch and for VCs and investors and strategics to be there. You know, and of course, LSI is a market research company. They have just amazing technology. Like they have this thing called MedTech Pro where you're able to look up procedures. I mean, every startup should be using MedTech Pro. If you're a CEO or a founder, you should be using LSI's MedTech Pro. But anyways, so Scott had been following me. He invited me as a guest a couple of years ago to LSI. I fell in love with it. And so he reached out to me last year and says, hey, you know, we have this panel on upending the sales model. And I've been told by people like, nobody's going to take this thing seriously unless Omar Khatib's on that panel. I'm like, well, that's a really nice compliment. But yeah, sure. I'd love to be on that panel. Sure. You know, I'll take that. So the panel was put together by a group called MRP, who comes out of the aesthetic world. And Scott Carson, who's the founder, was out of eBay. So he was over at eBay figuring out eBay's healthcare vertical. You know, essentially, I think maybe it was a little bit too early. And so he ended up leaving and starting MRP, which I think he's definitely on something. So Scott's philosophy, which I agree with to some extent, is that There's no transparency on pricing, on data, on all these things in med tech. And it's a lot of it's being influenced by salespeople, specifically in the aesthetic business. Like he tells a story that salesperson goes, sells a piece of capital equipment to a doctor. You know, it's actually not as good as they thought. And this doctor ended up being like 400K, like in the hole, right? Hmm. So for certain products, I totally agree. Having a marketplace where network effects are at play, that's probably true. That being said... I couldn't think of a worse thing to happen for innovation because, for example, like when a new robotic technology come out or AI, you don't have mounds of clinical data, right? Or case studies or KOLs. So you need salespeople. Like salespeople are what drive adoption in this industry. It's, I hate to say it, it's definitely not marketing. The companies that I'm at, it's marketing because I only work for companies where the CEO gets marketing and that the board supports it. And so one of the big comments, so the, if you guys look up LSI upending the sales model on YouTube, you can watch the video. But towards the end, the topic of going repless came up. Okay. And so yes, it did. Yeah. And so <laughs> everyone on the panel, except me, believes that in the next five to 10 years that reps are going to be gone. Okay. And so in the crowd, Daniel Hawkins, who is employee number four or five at Intuitive, He's also the founder of Shockwave Medical and then also the founder of Vail Med System, which is a system that helps reps cover cases remotely, stood up and challenged that. And I, you know, agreed and sort of backed him up on it, which was like, you know, it's not going to go repless. I'll speak from my own experience. I've been in plenty of cases where if the rep is not there that day, everybody gets nervous. Everybody. 
And the reason why is because when you're in a surgery, like it is a team sport. It's not like, you know, in the 60s and 70s where it's like, you know, some basic tools. There's extremely complicated technology. And there's no way the surgeon is going to know and memorize all that, you know, whether it's a implant system, a screw system, or a robotic platform, right? So reps need to be there because to be quite frank, there are reps I know who, you know, they're like 30 years old. They've seen 10 times more cases in many different ways for their technology than like, you know, chair of surgery, right? So those people have to be there, you know, to, sure. to ensure patient outcomes. So I don't believe in this concept about like, it's going to go repless. To go repless, like a lot of things have to happen. The technology has to like not have any hiccups. That's not happening. You have to have staff at the hospital who's going to be trained inside and out on knowing how to do that. That's not going to happen because I don't know if you guys know this, but those people aren't paid a lot of money. So they're not going to waste their time like doing more work, right? It just costs so much money. It's just not going to happen. And let's just assume that does happen. Let's assume that God, you know, comes down and says like, I'm making every medical device, you know, hiccup free. It's going to work perfectly you still need somebody to drive the adoption of the technology. Because just because you place something in the hospital doesn't mean it's going to have 100% utilization. So you got to do something about that, right? So there's all these things. And I think like what the, you know, for Scott's philosophy, which again, I agree with him on some points of it. You know, I think things like that is valuable in the aesthetic world, for sure. Even with capital mm-hmm. equipment, because, you know, once, you know, I was in the aesthetic world myself and I was in, believe it or not, a robotic hair restoration company. Once the robot was placed and after a few cases, you know, the account was sustainable on their own, sure. right? But yeah, it just depends. But this whole thing, and I think Eric, you and I have joked about it on LinkedIn. It's like every five years, somebody from a P&E group or some investment firm comes out and is like, there's no more reps. They're going, they're all going away, you know? Yeah. They say it to you as if they've figured it out. Here we go. I've figured it out and we're going to invest this money. We're going to do this. And every time I talk to one of those guys and I had this discussion over the weekend with a good friend of mine who's in the PE world. And I said, Hey, you obviously don't know medical device. And he's like, well, no, not really. And I walked him through from the manufacturing floor till it gets implanted in a patient and it gets paid for all of the steps that happen along the way. And all the things that can occur and all the things. And he just kind of sat there with his eyes wide open, just looking at me like, I can't believe that all of these things. Are, and I said, yeah, and it's all tied to human element along the way. Yeah. And in the end, the one who's the ultimate decision maker, the surgeon, when something goes wrong, they want to turn and talk to a human being. And I don't care. It's just that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And, that's it. Yeah, Eric, when I have a problem with my credit card or my phone bill, I lose it. I lose my mind when I'm having to go through an automated system, no matter how good it is. I just want to talk to a human being. It's just so much more easier. I can't mention his name, but there's a chief commercial officer I know who he talked about this, and he had a really good heuristic. So for the man- sales managers who are listening, do this. The next time you deal with, let's say, it's usually not the surgeon, it's somebody else, but somebody at the hospital who's a moron, who's never, who barely spends any time in surgery is like, we don't want the reps in the room. This is what you do. This is what this chief commercial officer does. He's like, he tells, let's say it's the hospital, whoever, somebody in admin. It's like, hey, you know what? I think it's a great idea. So let's do this next week on Monday. You know, let the surgeon know that we're not going to have, the reps not going to be in the room, but we're going to be downstairs in the cafeteria we're going to give the surgeon your cell phone number 
So when something goes wrong, they'll text you, okay? They'll call you. But then when it gets bad, like really bad, and it's like code red, just call us and we'll go up. And every single time when he's pulled that move, that's yeah. the last time they talk about we're not going to have a rep physically in the room. Now, I think with companies like Avail Med Systems where, because let's be honest, like even me when I was in robotic surgery, I had to fly every single day. I wish something like Avail existed because you could have a top rep in a room no matter what, especially, I mean, think about like trauma cases, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody sure. lives like five miles away from the hospital, right? Or they live in a metropolitan city, right? What I will say though, Eric, is that what's going to change, and at least that was the message I gave VCs and investors at LSI. This is the advice I give VCs and investors when they call me for due diligence don't invest in companies where the CEO is like, we're going to hire like 20 salespeople because that's, it's just throwing shit against the wall. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and on top of it, you know, if you know how to commercialize digitally, which means you have a savvy sales team or at least one that's been trained and you have the right marketing, you can commercialize with like five people. Look, today was a big day for Petro Medical. Actually, you know what? This is exciting. I've never said what I'm about to say. This is, I was waiting for this day for almost two years. I'm going to say it on your show. I haven't even awesome. posted about this. So today, Petrero Medical announced they got breakthrough designation for their predictive algorithms, right? I'm not going to say anything, but let's just say that you don't have to be a savvy investor to know that when you get a breakthrough designation on an algorithm for an organ that has no data or algorithm you know, designations... You own it at that point. And so you can only imagine what that did to their valuation. If you go to look at Joe Urban's post where he talks about the designation and everything, and actually I'm going to it right now. He just texted me, right? Just from a reach standpoint, the thing has almost 400 likes. He's going to text me the data. Actually, it's got over 10,000 views, right? Surgeons, doctors, investors, et cetera. That aside, when he lists the people involved with that breakthrough designation, the clinical studies, there's Ashish Khanna of Wake Forest. There's mm -hmm. Stephen Minier of Cleveland Clinic. Okay. The other gentleman, I don't know. So I can't, it may have been this case, but Cleveland Clinic and Wake Forest, guess how we got those accounts? 100% digitally through LinkedIn. 100%. There's no salesperson hitting the streets and everything. And more importantly, it was done through a system where you can make some assumptions based on who you think is going to be a great adopter of your product. But if you have the right salespeople driving content, you have the right marketing, you have a system where it will attract the right KOLs and right adopters for the point in time of your company. And that works way better than a group of people in a room at your company trying to you know, guess based on their quote unquote experience. Well, it's the definition of a demand gen. You know, it's you want the right people coming to you. You know, Scott Sigmund talks about it all the time. He gets to target the right patients he wants. And these people get to target the right KOLs that they want. And it's a very different playing field when you do it that way. Oh, absolutely. And you know, and funny enough, so Chris Walker, who we all know, founder of Refine Labs, one of the best, my favorite success stories, zero to 130 full-time US employees in two years, not venture-backed and globally one of the top demand gen agencies. So funny enough, Chris came out of medical devices, you know? You, yeah, you told yeah. me that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the one thing that I would say to people when they think about demand gen, which is the idea of how do you put out, you know, content and education to, you know, to essentially try and generate and channel demand. 
a lot of it's proactive too. So for Cleveland Clinic, they didn't approach us, you know, directly. Same with Wake Forest. What happened with Cleveland Clinic was I kept doing posts about the technology, about the story of the company, same with Joe Urban. And one of the cardiac anesthesiologists at Cleveland Clinic commented on a post saying, oh, I didn't know you were at this conference. Wish I knew. So I reached out to him, got him on a phone call. That phone call turned into me doing a demo. And then six to nine months later, other people got involved. You know, they started doing some clinical studies at Cleveland Clinic. Same with Wake Forest. I noticed Shishkana had engaged and liked some of my posts. I looked at his background. I read his papers and I was like, you know what? He's product aware now, right? This guy clearly has an awareness for the product. He has an awareness for the problem that we're solving. His research suggests he hadn't done anything Petro does with acute kidney injury. He hadn't done much, I think, to my recollection with acute kidney injury at that point. But when I looked at his research, I was like, this guy strikes me as the right type of technology adopter right now, which is like a pioneer, not even an early adopter. He's more of a pioneer. And so I talked to Joe Urban. We reached out to him again. So a lot of like, that's why they say when it comes to product adoption, you drive it. It's a proactive physical thing. You know, but if you do these things the right way, then yeah, these things, you know, these things happen, you know, it seems like magic, but it's not, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> no, it's a lot of hard work. You're right. And I think when, uh, you know, it's interesting because I get, <laughs> I talk about this in some of my posts is I get guys who I've known for years and years and years and they're like, they'll call me up and they're like, dude, is all that stuff you're doing on LinkedIn, is that really worth it? I mean, the podcast and the this and the that and the this and the this. And I go, yeah, I think it is because you're reciting back all the things that I'm doing and I haven't told you anything that I'm doing. And I kind of get this, I kind of get this, you know, all of a sudden this pause and I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, I got you, I got you. And then what I'm doing is I'm kind of trans or at least linking what we're doing and things that we're doing and what you're talking about in your program for, for salespeople, that these types of things that are different from what we've been doing before, but are going to be so necessary moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And look, like something else I'll share. And again, for me, as you see, like I'm in my library, so I I read. I'm Mm -hmm. like a machine when it comes to reading. But I always tell people, if your reading turns into knowledge, like you become a fool. But if it turns into action, that's when you become successful. And so the books that have made me, that have helped me the most in my career with exception of a few of them, they weren't business books. They were all books on history. And so if you look at our history as an industry, it makes sense why people are doing what they do. But again, it's just like with evolution. It's not about the smartest or fastest or strong. It's really just who's willing to change and change the Mm -hmm. fastest, right? You know, and I think that once you understand this one simple thing, I feel like this one thing will unlock a lot for people, which is, In order to persuade, you have to get attention, okay? And when you get attention, right, it doesn't matter what it is, right? The brain, like, automatically through evolution assigns importance to things that it sees most often. It does not even matter on the quality, right? So well said. 100%. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And again, like, you know, because... You know, I love salespeople, but there's an archetype of a salesperson that annoys the hell out of me in this industry, which is <laughs> they usually they are above the age of 35. They have been in the industry for more than 10 years. So they've made really, really good money doing the old way. They think they know everything. And so for them, they got an answer to everything. They criticize everything. And so for me, 
let's just look at the basic of, you know, so at Intuitive Surgical early days in the 2000, you needed to be in your account all the time. Like I've heard stories where a VP or somebody might go to an account on a Friday because they heard the rep's going to be there. We'll sit there in the lobby and be like, yep, I know the case ended earlier today, but like reps nowhere to be seen. They fire people, right? So yep. what's, what's that about? those stories. Yeah. What's that about? Why do you have to live at the hospital? It's because you're trying to be seen. You're trying to develop familiarity, right? So mm-hmm. rather than doing that physically at the hospital, right? Imagine you're a rep and let's say you work in the Texas Medical Center. You cover Houston Methodist, MD Anderson, and Memorial Hermann. So they're all there. It's a big center though. What's a lot scalable that you physically be there or you find ways online through LinkedIn, through Twitter, whatever it is, just to have a touch point with a physician. Comment on a post, post something yourself, make sure they see it, right? Instead of trying to go and bug them at the sink while they're scrubbing in, when they post their cases on LinkedIn, which they do that, a lot of them Mm -hmm. are doing more of it, right? You know, they're doing that for a reason. You know, if they really wanted only their peers to comment, they would have just stayed on Doximity. They're going on LinkedIn for a reason, you know? Well, because, yeah, which is a whole other thing we can go down this road, but it may be another podcast, but... You know, social media is the shot of dopamine that people, you know, look at impressions and likes and things of that nature. And everybody likes a little shot of dopamine and now surgeons like it too. And you had posted some very interesting statistics on surgeons and their activity on LinkedIn and things of that nature. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I found that just, it was unbelievable, the increase and just activity that's occurring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So back in, when was it? Back in February, I believe, you know, so LinkedIn, they have Sales Navigator, which if you know how to use it, has a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And of course, I interact a lot with Definitive Healthcare, which is one of the, you know, big databases for procedures and everything. So in the United States, as of, you know, February, there were 22,340 active orthopedic surgeons practicing. Okay. When I searched for orthopedic surgeons in the United States on LinkedIn back then, I think it was like 16 or 17,000. That's still a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the statistic that was interesting. When I searched for who posted in the last 30 days, which means not resharing a post, like literally they wrote a post themselves. They made some original content. Of the 16,000 orthopedic surgeons, 1,500 of them had posted something. You know, I'm just calculating that on my calculus. So that's 9%. That's a huge percentage, by the way. So in the last 30 mm-hmm. days, 1,500 of them. I checked that 30 days later, that number jumped from 1,500 to 2,000. So it was like over a 50% increase. 500 more orthopedic surgeons had posted something on LinkedIn, right? And so what's amazing is that, again, because in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about the rep who's like, Oh, you know, and by the way, this is not true because a company cannot control you this way. My company doesn't let me to like anything. I can't comment on anything, whether it's about my product or not. I'm not allowed to do any of those things, right? So, okay, so what's the reason for your sales process to use LinkedIn? Well, here's the main reason. Language. If you think about persuasion, if you look at hypnosis, which is a real thing, psychologists use it all the time. When you use language, the same language that another person uses, you are able to induce them into a level of hypnotism, right? Mm -hmm. And so when somebody's posting, you know what you're getting? You're getting the exact language they use. You're understanding what's important to this person, 
right? You're seeing who's in that person's network. Like you're getting so much intelligence and data. Look, I mean, the government does this all the time. When the government, you know, and the CIA go overseas somewhere, they spend months to a year immersing themselves in the culture, the language and everything before they even have any contact, right? Sure. So that's the thing that I try and tell people, Eric. And like, again, like I tell, what's it called? See, like, look, I just looked on Sales Navigator right now. I type mm-hmm. in orthopedic surgeon in the United States. And by the way, there's two spellings for orthopedic surgeon. So like, I only did one spelling, right? Right. So right. it's only pulling that one spelling up. Okay. 12,000 people came up for this one search. Of those 12,000, uh, 997 have posted in the last 30 days. And mind you, in the last 30 days, we were in summer holiday and everything. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But still. But the other thing that I was going to say is like, let's say you're a rep, you can't post, you can't do anything on LinkedIn. Why would you still use it? Right. And let's just add Twitter to that as well, because a lot of academics use that. When you keep going to the hospital and let's say you get lucky, you get stuck in an elevator with a doctor. What the hell are you going to tell him or her? Right. What are you going to tell the surgeon if you get stuck in an elevator? It finally happens. Or you at the cafeteria. It's packed. The surgeon sees an open chair right next to you, decides to sit down, starts eating and says, oh, what do you do? What are you going to tell them? You just start throwing up like features and benefits or do you have something a little bit deeper, right? A little bit more interesting to have a conversation about. Maybe you don't even mention that you've, you know, checked out their posts on LinkedIn and you just happen to know a specific topic. You know that it's a hot button topic for them and you just bring it up, right? Yeah, Absolutely it triggers a response that you're probably not going to be accustomed to. They're going to kind of turn with their eyes wide open. And you had mentioned something before because I get a lot of people, which I know, you know, it's an excuse why you shouldn't be doing it. But, you know, people talk, well, you know, we have social media rules at my company and I can't post anything like that. It's a cop out. It's a total cop out. Let me tell you, I know somebody who's very big on LinkedIn and I'm not going to say, it's, oh, who cares? Johnny Cafaro works for Striker. <laughs> he oh, yeah. works for Striker yeah, yeah. and he posts all the time. And in fact, he posts more and more and more. So that excuse is gone. You know, he works for probably the biggest, one of the biggest companies on earth in the medical space. So come on, guys. You know, everybody no, yeah. know you can do that. No. And look, I mean, so and a salesperson, and I want to be as hard as I am, I try to be also empathetic about certain things. Some salespeople, like they are nervous because like their manager is going to like make a comment. I get it. So what I would say is this, don't talk about your products. Don't talk about, you know, any claims. Try and just start by commenting on certain posts. Just, and by commenting, I mean, if a surgeon makes a post, read the post, this is like million dollar advice here, read the post, Go to the comments, read the comments because it's going to be other surgeons. Just in those comments, you're going to learn a lot. I learned more in those posts than I've learned in my orthopedic section in medical school. Then go and just make an observation and ask a question. Hey, Dr. Smith, I noticed that a lot of the surgeons in the comments here had mentioned this one other technique. If you couldn't use this approach, would you use that technique or something else? And if so, why? Right? Just ask questions. And guess what happens? That doctor is going to reply back and engage you. All of their network is going to see it. And so let's just say your manager's an asshole and comes around and is like, hey, why are you, you know, commenting and posting on LinkedIn? Like you can say, be like, well, you know, I'm actually, I developed a engagement through this surgeon, right? And then I'm following up in a direct message to see if I can meet with them, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to say like, and here's the other thing. I have a talent of saying things that really piss companies off. I don't care. I work with companies, but I have a bias towards the rep. Here's the thing as a rep. Any day 
the company can decide we're going to do a layoff. We're just going to get rid of people. It happens. Okay. Or what they'll do is worse. What they're going to do is they'll increase your territory, raise your quota, and lower your salary and comp. They're just going to mess with your comp plan, right? Sure. And so if you don't utilize LinkedIn, how's anybody going to even know about you? How's any hiring manager going to know about you? So the day comes that you get laid off and that's when you get to start using LinkedIn. It's too late at that point. You got to think about yourself. You got to think about your family, all these different things. Our industry has this really terrible obsession of like, we demand 100% loyalty. We own you. You'll do as we say, so far, so on and so forth. I agree with to some extent, but, but that company's not responsible for your growth. They're not responsible for putting food on your table, right? And so you have to think about your future a year or two from now. You know, so look, Eric, a lot of salespeople like who are older, I mean, look, when I was in my late 20s, I was exhausted and beat down from covering cases. Like it's a hard life. Some of them sure. want to go into software, right? Work in healthcare SaaS sales or something. Great. You know what I have to tell them? I'm like, guys, who's going to hire you? You don't even know what a tech stack is. There are salespeople who don't even know how to set up a Zoom invite, right? Who the hell's going to right. who, who hire you? Right. And I say this not to make anybody feel bad, but I'm saying this because the truth is going to hurt you, but it will set you free. It will be revolutionary to you if you let it. Right. And I think that's what what you're trying to do with your show. And you and Matthew Ray Scott are doing that through Medical Sales Rx, which is these things are here. We have to be honest with ourselves. Right. Well, yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. You've got to build, I talk about this a lot, a personal brand, you know, that's going to supersede the company you're with now, because I can't name any of my, well, I can name one, somebody who stayed from the day they left college until they may retire as a salesperson at one company. And if you don't believe that there's only one person that I know of, and there may be more that people out there do, but if you don't embrace the fact that you need to build a brand and you need to be somebody who's actively promoting yourself, you're going to wake up one day. And then all of a sudden, like you said, the layoffs have occurred and you know, do they widespread layoffs happen all the time in our industry? No, but they happen and everybody's endured one. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you, for me, it kind of happened by chance. I'll share like how this all started for me. And then again, my thing is I want to provide as much actionable advice for your audience as possible. And by the way, I have a link to a webinar training I did. I'll give it to you. You can leave it in the show notes for them. Please, please. You know, they can watch that implement those strategies for free use talk about that in interviews i've had two people message me saying they're not even in my program but i appreciate it there's two people in the last three months they messaged me like hey man i watched your webinar i hope you don't mind but like i talked about those strategies in the interview and I actually got the job and i'm like good man congrats that's you know yeah. so, so but anyways so in 2015 when i was at mazor mazor got acquired by medtronic and there was a layoff i was part of that layoff my ceo chris prentice and my manager tom you know, they gave me a choice. They're like, look, we'd love for you to stay, but the only role we have is sales, going back in the field and covering cases. I knew that's not what I wanted to do. So I decided to leave and they were very supportive of it. They did everything right, by the way, in terms of how they saw me go. By the way, for those listening, the way a company like lays you off and lets you go and the way your managers and people around you treat you on your way out, it'll tell you everything about those people and whether or not you should ever work with them again. Just a side note. Yeah, great point. Yeah, but I had three and a half years of surgical robotic marketing experience. Like with a company that just got acquired, I was like, oh man, I'm not going to have trouble getting hired. Guess what? I had trouble getting hired because every recruiter, 
you know, kept saying, if you had one more year of experience, right? Or like, you don't have this random niche experience for this thing. And I'm like, it didn't matter. So I took to LinkedIn. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start writing an article a week to demonstrate my marketing strategies. Like, why am I waiting for these people to go through them to talk to a hiring manager? I'm just going to write on LinkedIn and someone's going to read it and say, man, we want more of that. So I write these articles. I send them to hiring managers, right? And eventually I got hired, you know, another story for another time. But when I was at this next company that moved me to Silicon Valley, I got a lot of flack from my manager and at times, you know, from leadership on the articles because I was still writing articles about med tech and everything. And some of them, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't like it. So I had to stop, but I didn't want to stop using LinkedIn because I said, well, anytime something happens, I'm going to have to start all over again. So that's when I started doing my book show. So every week for three years, Eric, I did a book review using my iPhone. Eventually I got like new equipment that became like a show for me, but I did that every year for three years. All I was doing is talking about books. Not only did that help me launch my career, get hired by other places, I was able to pack deals into pipeline with that. And the reason why, it doesn't have to do with products. It has to do with the fact that I was showing up, people were paying attention, I was doing consistently, and I was providing something of value. And then you can translate that to whatever you want. You can translate that to getting a job. You can translate that to, hey, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I'm following you for a while. I think you should check out our technology, right? Sure. But in any case, like, to your point, you have to build a professional brand, you know? You do, yeah. And that's, as we move forward, I just, I teach a course on it in Medical Sales Rx. It's one of my courses, is building a personal brand on LinkedIn. Because I, like you, I was let go at one point in time, and, you know, I was kind of calling up, you know, the old school way. Let's talk to all my buddies out there that I know in different companies. Well, you only have so many buddies and you only have so many openings that are there. And that's it. That's when your sphere of influence ends. And what are you supposed to do? And it's a wonderful tool with LinkedIn that you can create a brand. And, you know, I go to meetings and I tell this story because it really resonated with me because I went to a meeting once, I guess it was a few years back and I'm walking and talking to people, introduce myself and I get the oh, wait a minute, you're the podcast guy. You know, I don't call myself the podcast guy. I don't have anything like that, but I have a podcast. I'm on LinkedIn. I try to be active. And this is what, you know, has occurred, spurred on several different conversations. Obviously, lots of things happen. So I guess what I'm just echoing exactly what you said, you know, it's just building your sphere of influence on a larger audience as a potential team member is huge. Exactly, exactly. I mean, look, like, you know, LinkedIn, still a lot of people don't know this, you know, it's owned by Microsoft. It's not going away. It's the, in the last five years, the number one most trusted social media platform, number one most secure. So when you search, I mean, look, if you search my name, Omar M. Khatib in Google, I'm almost at a million hits. I haven't gotten to a million yet. But, you know, I have two YouTube channels. I have two podcasts. I've been doing content for over 10 years now. LinkedIn mm-hmm. is the number one thing that comes up. So your LinkedIn profile is literally like the product landing page for you. So whether that's an investor or Great a surgeon, analogy. yeah, you want that buttoned up. You want that to look good, right? You know, sure. I mean, look, even today, take medical sales out of it. Right now, the fastest growing segment in my program, it's not sales reps anymore. It's still, I mean, sales reps are signing up. It's actually CEOs and founders who are trying to get their LinkedIn a certain way and actually creating content to do thought leadership because it makes it easier to raise money. And look, like, I mean, I don't want to brag about it, but like 
people are going to ask like, whoa, you know, do you have a data point on that? Yeah. Like, look, Moon Surgical based out of Paris, France. It's a robotic company. Anne Ostewitt and Jeffrey Alvarez, the CEO and C, Jeff is a chief strategy officer, approached me 30 days before JP Morgan. They're like, hey, we need help. Nobody knows about us. I worked with them. We utilized LinkedIn. They raised a $30 million Series A and they credited LinkedIn for a big part of that because it made it a lot easier for them to have meetings. People knew who they were, like so on and so forth. This is like a very simple concept that people miss, which is the more attention you get, the more people know about you the more easier it is for you to have meetings, have conversations. And you don't have to like start, you know, like from scratch, right? You know, how nice right. would it be as a salesperson to walk in and, you know, the doctor's like, yeah, you know, I actually been following your company, been following you. I'm familiar with your product, you know, so it, it looks interesting. Like that makes it a lot easier, right? Sure, sure. And there's strategies and there's ways to attract that attention through, very personal stories and personal things that you can do on LinkedIn. And I know you teach that in your course that things that will draw people to not necessarily here's my widget and this is what it can do. You create a personal connection with that person who's viewing your content. And that's what's most important. Yeah. Look here, another million dollar piece of advice. Okay. Let's say your rep, every rep has a surgeon and they do the stupid thing every now and then, which is like when the surgeon, by the way, nothing wrong with this, but when it's the only post, it's kind of lame. The one post they do is like when the surgeon hits like, I don't know, a hundred procedures or something or some milestone yeah. to take a picture with yeah. the surgeon, like with the product. Okay, that's fine. Here's a better idea. You're spending all this time in that surgery. The surgeon's definitely telling stories about things. You're probably learning. Learn from that stuff, right? Then ask the surgeon, hey, can I post what I learned from you today? You know, maybe you take a picture of the surgeon, you know, and share it unrelated to your product just make this about you know leadership what it means you know whatever that is do that for a few weeks right and then go to the surgeon and ask him hey you know dr so-and-so i'm trying to like you know sort of get more attention like here in my company i'm trying to you know grow my career do you mind making a post about like what you like about the technology you know go ahead and tag me in it like do you mind doing that that's a reciprocity in persuasion right you'd be surprised sure. how easy that works you know well, and you'll be surprised how many times they say yes. Yeah, that, you know, exactly. They, they want to help you. And if you're you're somebody who's helping them, it's, it's reciprocity, exactly what you said. That's exactly right. And I think the main thing that we're getting at is that the customer has changed, changed a long time ago. Their buyer's journey has changed, the way they communicate, the way they consume information, all these things change. You as a salesperson has to change. You cannot do this nonsense of, well, my company will train me. The company's not going to train you. No. They're not going to do it. You know, you cannot take a risk on your career. You have to change. You have to do it yourself. I don't know what happened to the generation of salespeople where they took their career seriously and said, hey, every year, like, what's the big seminar or workshop I'm going to go to that I'm going to pay for myself? What books am I going to read? You know? Yeah. I don't know. You're right. Because I don't meet many of those people anymore. No, but everybody wants to make more money. Everybody wants to make more money. Nobody wants to put the time in, you know? Yeah. I talked to a, a clinical salesperson the other day who worked for Stryker. And, you know, they're like, I don't want to be a case jockey. I want to make more money. I want to get promoted, all these things. When I was talking to him, I was like, do you read books? And they're like, no, I you know, don't really like to read. I'm like, okay, do you listen to audiobooks or maybe some sales podcasts? No, don't really do that. I'm like, when was the last time you took a course, like any course? And they're like, oh man, it's been a long time. I'm like, well, how long? They're like, maybe nine years. I was like, you haven't educated yourself on nothing 
in nine years and you're complaining that you're not making more money and you're complaining that you haven't been promoted, like how do you think that's going to happen by accident? You're just going to work harder and then people are going to say, oh, we should reward this person with more money. It's just not how the world works. None of it. It never worked that way. You know? No, it never did. And I think that, yeah, anyway, we could go down a road of how things have changed and what things might look like here down the road. But all I would say is prepare yourself for success. And that's really what the, for me is, you know, when I talk about what we're doing in medical sales, RX is preparing you for the future and your success. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think is the most important thing that every salesperson should be doing? Like what action do you think it should be, Eric? In the respect of their daily interactions with surgeons or interactions with their customers, constant top of mind awareness. And that to me is as a salesperson, getting your information and who you are in front of your customer. And however that is, however you do that, I know the way that you should be doing it. And that's you know digitally and through LinkedIn and other processes, but understanding that that's how you're going to succeed. The days of I'm going to drive four hours over to this doctor's office and sit in the lobby is a complete waste of time. And I would say, Omar, right now that 50, 60% of salespeople still do that. Yeah. More. I, yeah. Now, as I said, I think you're being very conservative. I think it's definitely way more. And again, I love doing devil's advocate. Let's just assume that that still works. Well, time only goes one way. So while you're waiting and you know sitting, like, what are you doing with that time? You yeah. know, right? What are you doing with that time? You know, so... I think that's the big thing. At the heart of everything we just talked about, Eric, what this boils down to is if you're trying to go for a big result, let's say revenue, there's obviously objectives that map to it, like a certain number of meetings, certain number of demos, et cetera. The one thing that the best, the great salespeople do, they go to the deepest layer, which is what are the daily activities and processes I'm implementing on a daily basis? That's the only thing you control, right? You know? Yep. Absolutely. And it's, I had a manager once who very successful back in the day and still rings true is if you're engaging in the right activity on a daily basis, you and you're closest to the customer, you will win. Absolutely. And that's just how I've lived my career and it's worked out pretty well so far. Absolutely. Hey, look, there ain't no money in easy things. Ain't no money in easy things, you know? No, that's why the lottery is so hard to win. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, that would be easy money. That's actually a good point. I got to use that. That's actually the best next example. That's such a good point. It's like the literally the easiest action you can take, but the yeah. odds are are not in your favor. You know? Not in your favor whatsoever. So, well, Omar, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Loaded with great information. If people want to visit your site or get in touch with you, where should they go? Yeah, go find me on LinkedIn, Omar M. Khatib. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Snapchat. Unfortunately, I hate that I'm even admitting this. I am going to get on TikTok even though I'm against it. But at this point, it's only hurting my business by not being on there. So I will use it. And I will have a website soon. It's khatibandco.com. If you go there right now, it's up, but it's still being worked on. But it should, by the time this episode is released, it should be up. And I'm going to have a lot of great sales content there. Webinars, blogs, a lot of cool stuff. Awesome. Well, we will look forward to it. It's KatibAndCo.com. That's right. And again, I really appreciate, Omar, you taking the time to come on today. And we look forward to having you back real soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Eric. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www. 
orthoidea.com.